Welcome everyone, I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'd like to welcome to Retina Synthesis, Dr. Donald Fong. Don, how's, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Carmen. Thank you for this opportunity to talk. Uh, Don is Vice President of Ophthalmology Clinical Development at Anexon, which is a clinical stage biotech company located in uh, California and uh, looking at a variety of diseases, including geographic atrophy. Uh, Don, could you tell us in a broad sense what the approach of Anexon is? Yeah, sure, sure, I'm happy to do that. Um, Anexon's approach is focused on the classical pathway of the complement system. And the, uh, the complement system has been uh, shown to be involved with AMD, uh, first, uh, there have been genetic studies that have shown that the uh, complement system is involved. Uh, there have been genetic uh, subtypes where there is reduced complement. And when there's reduced complement, uh, the risk of AMD decreases. And in, 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 in stages where the genetic uh, subtype shows increased complement, then there is increased AMD. So we know that the uh, complement pathway is involved in uh, in geographic atrophy. And the complement path, complement system basically has three systems. The alternate pathway, which is essentially a spontaneous hydrolysis of CA, uh, of, of C3, and you get activation of the pathway that way. And then uh, the next one is focused on the classical pathway, which is a, a substrate-based uh, activation of the complement pathway. And we believe that the, a substrate-based activation is a differentiated approach. And this is because uh, um, in, in macular degeneration, you've got uh, degeneration at, at the photoreceptors and the RPE with drusen and so forth. And what we see in animal studies and in human um, path studies is that there's activation of C1Q in these areas. And, uh, and our approach is to block the complement pathway by blocking the classical pathway at the very beginning at, at C1Q. So C1Q is uh, an important molecule in the complement pathway. And uh, your animal studies showed that C1Q blockade um, was related to photoreceptor rescue. Is that isn't that correct? Yeah. So, th so there's we have a, a a bit of evidence on this. So if you look at C1Q in 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 mice and so forth, C1Q is involved in neural development in making sure that the neuro, uh, neuronal synapses are adequately pruned. So it's very um, uh, uh, activated in early on in, in neural development. And it's also activated in, uh, with aging. So you build up C1Q. Um, and, so, um, and so it makes a lot of sense that if you want to um, block the complement pathway, you, you want to start with C1Q. Uh, we also see C1Q in uh, light damage uh, mice. So these are mice that have been exposed to bright lights to damage their uh, uh, photoreceptors. And you see C1Q activation there as well. So C1Q definitely involved um, in, in, in degeneration. And the other, um, the, the, the other uh, a part about C1Q is that 
macrophages that express C1Q is located throughout the entire retina. And, uh, um, and with, this, uh, with this expression of C1Q everywhere, it really does make sense to try to uh, block it to prevent aberrant uh, activation of the complement system. Apellus is looking at blocking C3 and Iveric is looking at uh, blocking C5 and they have ongoing phase three trials uh, and uh, Apellus, the Apellus results are forthcoming. Um, how does your approach differentiate from these two, blocking these two down, downstream complement factors? Yeah, excellent question, excellent question. You know, the, the complement pathway is, is very complex. There are many nodes uh, where we could uh, uh, intervene. And the, uh, uh, the appellus approach is to block C3 uh, at, the, uh, at the amplification pathway and the C5 and the Zymura pro um, uh, product blocks uh, the complement pathway of the C5 lower down. So we believe that if you wanna block the uh, complement pathway, where you wanna start is at the beginning um, at the classical pathway at, C, at C1Q. And the reason you wanna do this is because um, when you activate C1Q, you activate the complement pathway. You're not just activating the complement pathway, you're actually <clears throat> um, preventing the buildup of obstinance. Um, C4, uh, C4A is a, um, uh, actually is a naflatoxin. So, you, uh, um, so you, if, if you have a lot of that around, that brings in a lot of phagocytic uh, 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 cells and, and, and so forth. And that could lead to continued uh, inflammatory activity. There, uh, C4B is an opsonin, uh, which uh, enhances phagocytosis. So if, if, so if you block the complement pathway further on, you're not blocking all the uh, production of opsonins and 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 and, uh, and 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 aflatoxins that are being created uh, through activation of the classical pathway from C1Q activation. So we feel that um, that blocking the the classical pathway with C1Q will more fully inhibit the uh, uh, the classical pathway and prevent the uh, other uh, products from building up. So that's one uh, of the advantages we, we believe um, is that it's a fuller blockade of the complement system. Um, and the other some of the other advantages uh, um, with our product potentially is that because it's blocking the complement, the, the classical pathway, it's not touching the, the amplification pathway um, allowing uh, normal um, <clears throat> cleavage of C3 and C5. And what this does is that it allows normal homeostasis of the complement pathway, which, which is necessary <clears throat> in, in retinal health. Um, there was an article from NIH um, that showed that uh, C3 actually is necessary to, um, to uh, prevent the continued uh, inflammation uh, from degenerating photoreceptors. I think um, we all know that uh, with time and with age, uh, we get photoreceptors uh, that get worn out and they get digested and there's uh, waste products. And you really need to have C3 around to get those products removed. So 
Um, so you, you don't necessarily want to fully block C3 um, to allow the uh, normal uh, homeostasis of the retina to, uh, uh, to, to proceed. Well, yeah. One final um, advantage of uh, the, uh, the product that we're developing in X007 is that there is potentially an opportunity to do every other month dosing. So um, going back to C3, uh, if you're at the top of the complement cascade, aren't your, isn't your molecule blocking C3 as well? So C3 is part of the amplification pathway. So you have the classical pathway of activating C3. You have the uh, lept leptin pathway, which essentially is like the classical, but reacting to the, uh, the mannose sugars. Uh, on cell membranes, and you have the classical all feeding into C3 uh, activation. So um, if we block the classical, the leptin pathway continues to work, the, uh, the alternate pathway continues to work, and it's this um, uh, allowance of the uh, normal activity of those other pathways, which we think could add to some safety benefits to just blocking the classical pathway. Mm -hmm. So your molecule is an antibody fragment, and uh, what's the evidence that it blocks C1Q? Do you have any evidence from your phase one studies? Yeah, excellent question. Um, we do, actually. We've, we've done uh, uh, phase one studies uh, looking at injection of uh, our ANX007 um, and then doing aqueous samples to look at the amount of free C1Q. And, um, at, and about 17 such patients in our phase one study. And at 29 days, there's full blockage of, uh, of C1Q. There's no free C1Q at, at 29 days after injection. So very good um, uh, blockage. Why do you think it might work longer than one month? It's a good question. Um, our animal models, show that uh, when, when we um, uh, model the data, that it's around for, uh, for that much longer. And that is a, a question that our phase two study, which is ongoing, uh, will look at whether the every other month dosing will be as effective as the um, uh, um, every other month. So can you so. tell us about the phase two trial? It's a big trial, more than 200 participants. Uh, can you tell us about the study design? Sure. Um, so it is a, um, a, a global trial. So we have, we have um, sites in the US. We have 45 sites in the US. We have 10 sites in uh, Oceania, which is Australia and New Zealand. And we have um, uh, patients randomized uh, uh, five milligrams every month. Um, and to and also to five milligrams every other month, uh, and compared to sham. So a patient coming into our study essentially has two third chance of getting an active agent in, in our trial. Um, we we do a lot of testing at baseline, and we see the patients every month. And our primary endpoint is at uh, at twelve months. And we plan to follow these patients for additional six months after. The study um, 
enrolled his first patient earlier this year, and we're on track uh, to uh, completing uh, enrollment in the first quarter of uh, 2022. Mm -hmm. So uh, how are you looking at, how are you measuring geographic atrophy in the study? Yeah, uh, good question. Uh, the FDA actually has provided us some background uh, what they're willing to accept. And so we're looking at uh, the autofluorescence uh, uh, as an endpoint. So we're hoping to see a reduction in progression of uh, area that's, uh, that's lost as identified by uh, uh, autofluorescence. Are you doing other tests like microperimetry or OCT angiography in these, any of the eyes? Um, not on everybody. Uh, microperimetry is, a, is an interesting question. Uh, you know, that's a way where you can uh, uh, correlate visual function with uh, what, what you see in the retina. The problem with microperimetry is that it's uh, time consuming and some patients find it really uncomfortable. And when you have um, patient performance issues, that creates a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. And so we, we decided uh, not to include it in, in our uh, phase two study, but certainly something we can consider as we move toward the phase three studies and, and other studies. Mm -hmm. So in the Apellus trial, a number of eyes developed choroidal neovascularization. So how does your study address the issue of choroidal macular neovascularization? Yeah, excellent question. Um, it is true that uh, certainly in the Philly study, there was an increase in, in choroidal neovascularization and uh, I'm assuming that uh, the same thing is going to be seen in the phase three study, given how similar the study design is. Um, one thing that's different, as we've been talking, is that our approach is the classical pathway, and we're blocking it high up. And so when you block it high up, it does two things. One is that it, you may need less drug. Uh, it's kind of like stopping the train at the station rather than trying to stop it as it's running away on the tracks. Uh, so potentially our study um, uses uh, less drug, maybe easier to inhibit it, uh, the complement pathway. And the other issue with which we talked about before is that because we're only blocking the classical pathway and allowing uh, uh, the other pathways to continue, there is uh, potentially better um, retina homeostasis and be better retina health and this might lead to less uh, coronal neovascularization, but this is something we'll need to see uh, as the uh, results come in. Um, are the eyes that develop coronal neovascularization in your study excluded, or do you treat the eyes and move forward? Yeah, good question. Well, we believe that the uh, wet AMD or neovascularization is pretty well treated right now with, with a lot of agents. We feel we can manage this. And um, if, if patients end up developing this, we would uh, expect that the patient to continue in our study to get our agent and, uh, and treatment for CNV with an anti-VEGF agent. Yeah, that's the approach that Apellus is taking in its phase three trial, which mm -hmm. is different than what they did in their phase two trial where they excluded those eyes. That's right. But we now know that, you know, wet AMD is, is very well treated. And you know we have a, a treatment for wet AMD, but we don't have one for dry AMD. 
And so, um, so I, uh, as an investigator, uh, it, it seems you want to uh, be able to offer the patients a, a treatment uh, for which none exists and just control um, the side effects uh, where it's already been shown to be well-treated with existing agents. Well, this is a very exciting and uh, I think promising approach. Uh, before we finish up, I'd like to ask you a couple of personal questions. Um, you uh, had a long career as a retinal clinician and as a very active clinical researcher, including some path-breaking work on the epidemiology of diabetic retinopathy. What attracted you to a career in industry? Yeah, excellent question. I think that, um, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time. Uh, I've been in academics. I've been with a, a large uh, a group practice. Uh, I've done a lot of work with diabetic retinopathy. Um, I, uh, I started uh, clinical research at, at uh, my old uh, company, Kaiser Permanente, and I started our tele-ophthalmology program. And I think that um, as I uh, age and, and think about doing other things, I wanted to have a different kind of impact. Um, I've always had a, a public health approach to, uh, to, to uh, taking care of patients. And this is just sort of the, uh, the next step in, uh, in public health and, and ophthalmology in, in my career. Well, certainly there is an epidemic of geographic atrophy that is accelerating because the aging of the pop, the rapid aging of the population, particularly over the age of 80. So this is a, indeed a public health challenge. Yes, it is. And, and I think that um, we know a lot about wet AMD because there's a treatment for it. And with dry AMD, um, there isn't a treatment. And so, so there are potentially, you know, many times a number of patients who haven't been identified, who haven't been referred in uh, for treatment. Once we get a successful treatment, uh, we're going to see probably more patients uh, coming in uh, to our practices with, uh, with dry AMD. Do you think that there will be a treatment for intermediate AMD anytime within the next decade? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. And I actually think that, um, that that's where the treatment needs to be. I think that geographic atrophy is, is basically death of the retina uh, of photoreceptors and RPE. And you really don't want to be intervening at the time of death. You want to try to prevent death. And so I think that um, um, the, uh, the impact is going to be uh, preventing patients from getting to death. And um, when, when things are dying, it's very hard to stop. Um, it's much better to try to prevent uh, the photoreceptor death from coming on. And that's kind of how the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the thinking behind the company. And I also want to mention, and I've forgotten this, is that the one other advantage with the, uh, the Nexon product is the uh, uh, neurodegenerative uh, protection that we get with, uh, with our product. Uh, um, C1Q, our C1Q inhibitor can prevent the deposition of, um, of, of, of C1Q onto the photoreceptor synapses. So this can prevent um, complement mediated uh, neurodegeneration that is often seen in diseases like Huntington's and ALS and potentially Alzheimer's. So this is one other advantage 
of uh, blocking at C1Q. So you get the uh, 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 um, protection, but allowing the normal homeostasis, uh, uh, allowing C3 to, uh, to, to proceed uh, uh, normally, and you get the potential neural protection uh, uh, by blocking of the C1Q at the synapses. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for joining us today on retina synthesis, uh, Dr. Fong, and we look forward to some exciting developments from an excellent. Thank you, Carmen. It really was a pleasure to talk to you.